0: You're listening to sermon audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Good morning. So, my name is Gabe Myers. Jacob, that sweater is amazing. I like the Christmas uh, heart behind it, right? That's really nice. It's already coming, and uh, I can wear a sweater today. Oregon is getting colder, isn't that nice? Yes. Someone said no. Okay, uh, okay, must not be a true Oregonian. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not either. But you know what? It's been a long time, even for me. Uh, but let's let's get to this. We're uh, going through the Gospel of John, and I'd like to start out just by asking a question Um, when was the last time you cleaned a house or something and you found something really dirty yeah like like really dirty like maybe tell someone next to you what what that might have been but not too gross we got to come back from this that's okay dirty stove anything else over there I know some of you want to share, share it with everybody right now. This is okay. Um, so a few years ago, we were, I was out of college, moved to Wichita, Kansas, and uh, was attending a church In our young adults group, we decided to help this lady, uh, a widow, uh, to basically paint her house, um, r- r- do some fixing up and clean her yard. So um, it was a little house, we painted it white, it was nice. But next to the house, there was a lot of stuff that needed to be cleaned out. But one of the things that needed to be cleaned, moved, and painted was a doghouse. And so, uh, uh, you know, we got together, looked at this doghouse. You know, we should probably put this up on bricks. It's on the ground. Um, So we decided to move it. Well, when we moved it, we found thousands of... This doesn't work. There we go, okay. Thousands of, no, that's not it. (laughs) Thousands of these guys. Do you guys know what these are? What? It says water bugs. No, thank you very much, no. We saw thousands of these bugs and someone said, well, they're just water bugs. If you research what water bugs are, that would be worse. Uh, But they are roaches, and there were literally thousands of these just all over underneath the backside of this house and on the ground, and they started scurrying everywhere, and people didn't know what to do. Like, we jumped back. Like, do I want to be near this? But then a bunch of them start going towards the house, and I'm thinking, "Uh, we can't let those in the house. Anyway, um, it was a mess, right? Cockroaches. And for some reason, I remember thinking after that event... I don't know if maybe I read this story that we're going to read today or not, but I I remember thinking through, man, what would it be like if Jesus were to come to our lives and clean it up? What would he find? Would it be like turning this, this house over? Would it be kind of that dirty? What would it be? And the Bible tells us, you know, we're all sinners, and so that's kind of the, picture I get, and I'm hoping that this picture just sticks in your head and makes you think through uh, the rest of this. But today we're talking about Jesus when he comes into Jerusalem and he cleans the house. And it's not just any house, it's, it's the temple, the temple of God, this place that is so important to the Jewish people. When you go back in time, you got, you know, by, by now Jesus is, is, is visiting Herod's rebuilding of the temple, right? But the first temple was built by Solomon and, and his father David really wanted to do it wanted to build but God said no we're going to let your son do it so solomon takes years of of his of his reign to build this place when he's done he he blesses the people but he also prays this prayer of dedication and in this prayer he comes before God and he basically says lord when people come to this place would you when people come to this place would you forgive their sins would you heal them would you listen to them and he, he prays this prayer, and it's pretty lengthy, and there are all these requests in it. Well, a few chapters later, you find God responding. He comes to Solomon, and he, it's like a bullet point list of the response that God gives to Solomon. But one of those things that God says in 2 Chronicles 7, he says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray... And seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will hear, heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. I have chosen and consecrated this temple so that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will always be there. So if you were to go to Jerusalem today, there isn't a temple there. But there is a piece of structure, a wall. They call it the Wailing Wall. I got to go there in 2001. And uh, I remember meeting a guy who knew something about the temple. And he gave me this piece of paper. And he said, when you go to the Wailing Wall, would you put this prayer in the wall for me? And when I got there, there were all these pieces of paper in the wall that people from all over the world had brought. And so people would come to the Wailing Wall and and. And the Jewish people would come and they would stand there before the wall and they would pray like this. And you could go live on the internet now, and look for it, and you'll see this is what, this is what happens. But that's, that's what's left. But this is the location. This is the temple, right? And, and this is where Jesus is gonna go. So John chapter two, verse 13 through 25. When it was almost time for the Jewish, pe- Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, They believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. Now, while he was in Jerusalem at the Passover festival, many people saw the signs he was performing and believed in his name. But Jesus would not entrust himself to them, for he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind, for he knew what was in each person. So this is the passage for today. It starts out with this little phrase, gives us a little bit of context, when it was almost time for the Jewish Passover. The Jewish Passover is loaded with significance for for the Jewish people. uh, There's mass pilgrimage to Jerusalem every year. When you go back, and even in Jesus' life, um, you know, he was born eight days later, taken to the temple, but then at age 12... He goes on this pilgrimage, for a Passover pilgrimage to Jerusalem. It's on that pilgrimage that he got lost in the temple for three days. But when mom and dad go and find him, his he said, "Well, I'm supposed to be about my father's business. Like I'm actually home here. Right? This is this is my house. Dad's here." And, And 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 then we don't hear anything from Jesus. Until he's 30. And now he's going back into the te- into the temple. So just wondering. Do you think maybe he had gone. To the temple for another Passover. In those 20 years. Probably. He's probably gone to a few. Probably. Got, maybe every year. <laughs> um, so. This isn't the first time, but this time he comes in and he's coming with a purpose. But you've got all these people and people would have uh, mass pilgrimage. They may have chosen their lambs and brought a lamb with them because it's, it's, it's a Passover celebration. So they would kill, they would choose this perfect lamb and, and then they would take it to the temple and, and sacrifice it. Then they would eat that, that lamb in the commemorative meal that night, remembering how God had rescued them from bondage. And here they are under Roman oppression, right? And they're waiting for the deliverer. And John the Baptist, in the previous chapter, he had, he had looked at Jesus, saw Jesus, his disciples are with him. He looks at Jesus and he says, look, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. <laughs> so Jesus is coming into the Passover and, and for him, this is loaded with significance and meaning that, that nobody else really knows yet. And so he comes to this temple, and, and, and what happens? First place he goes. You think, you know, if a king, king was coming, maybe he'd go to a castle or something like that. But Jesus goes, goes to his house. He goes to the temple. And what does he find? We just read this, right? In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. And this is, you've got... You got the temple, the, the most holy place, and the holy place, and you got a wall around that, and then you've got this court, and then outside that you got a, a bigger court, but it's all part of the temple. And in that court, you got people who typically would come a- and be there to pray, worship, like that's where that would happen. But what's happening? There's there's a lot of a lot of noise, right? But this is what he finds. And, and I'm going to jump ahead here. For those of us who understand a little bit about what temple means, means to us, not just, not just this building, but if you go to uh, 1 Corinthians 6.19, the Bible says that if you're a Jesus follower, if you're in relationship with Jesus, it says that, do you not know that your bodies are temples? Of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God, you are not your own. You were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. If you know Jesus, you are a dwelling place for the Holy Spirit we are a dwelling place of the very presence of God. So when we look around in this room, it's not just bodies that are filling this room. It's not just me and you. If you're a Jesus follower, the very presence of the Holy Spirit of God is here with us. That's who we are. You are the church. We are the temple. Right? And as I just think about this and I think about Jesus coming into Jerusalem, I, I have to ask myself, am I ready to have Jesus examine my life. Obviously, he is examining it. But am I aware of that? Do I know what he's thinking? How would he respond? You know, we, I think about, think about the life I lived in the past week. Like, think about your life in the past week. Get up in the morning. I don't know what your routine is. <laughs> but you get up. Eventually go to work. I'm not sure what the routine is, but we'd repeat this for a few days. Friday comes. I'm not sure what Friday night looks like for you or Saturday. But then Sunday, and, and my question, how, how much of my life was lived for God? Or am I, is it a daily thing, or, or is it just a, do we compartmentalize God to certain moments? Like, oh, Sunday, Sunday is God's. And maybe, maybe, you know, if, if I read my Bible daily or regularly, that time, that moment is a time that I'm going to give to God. But what about the rest of it? Is, is, am I a temple? Do I realize, am I aware that I'm a, I'm a temple all the time? And then are we ready to have Jesus examine us as a church together, corporately? Do we live out the purpose of God as, as his temple together together? Do we encourage one another? Do we point each other in how to live in his ways? Someone this past week asked me, Well, when you think about the building, um, well, I, I, I'm going to, yeah, when we think about the, well, what we did, what we do this morning, we come together, we sing, we worship, we pray. That's definitely what, the, what being a temple, being a church is all about, right? But then there's midweek. What do we do midweek? Do we connect with others in the church? Other Jesus followers? Do we encourage them? On a personal note, like worship. We worship God together this morning. Did I do that this week on my own? I'm like, well, I don't have the music. I, I can't play the instruments. Do you need the instruments to worship God? Can a, a mute person worship God? Yeah. Yeah, worshiping God is about recognizing who he is, telling him, I love you. I I, I love your grace. I love who you are in my life. I love what you've done for me. I worship you. I honor you. And am I doing that with all of my life? I think about what we just talked about, Jacob and and Becca were mentioning Advent conspiracy is coming, the things that are coming in the next couple of months, Thanksgiving. And how how big, how important is God God gonna be in the center of all of those things? And am I gonna fold up, roll up my sleeves and, and be part of that? Are we gonna be the temple? Is that what Jesus would find if he were to come and look at our lives? And when we look at this passage, Jesus comes to the temple, he sees that, (laughs) <laughs> That's what he sees in the temple. And, and how does he respond? Jesus gets angry. It's very rare. In fact, I don't think I've, you see any other passages where he gets this angry. He gets angry in other passages. But here he gets very angry. And what is it that gets him so upset? But, but keep in mind, he gets angry, but it's not this reactive anger. It's not a, I'm going to flare up and respond in the moment without any control. <laughs> he is very intang- intentional. Look at what he does. So he made a whip out of cords. Did you know carpenters could make whips? Obviously, he knew how to weave, right? And he took this moment. I'm going to go, can you imagine? Picture Jesus weaving. That's not going to be like a 30-second thing. He's weaving this cord. And the d- disciples, I'm, I'm just, can you imagine? What are you doing? Are we towing something? (laughs) He weaves his cord and he's very intentional. He plans it out. And then he, he goes into the temple and drove all from the temple courts. He cleans house. Both sheep and cattle. I'm assuming that's probably what the whip was for. I don't know. I don't know if. It landed on anybody's backs. It doesn't say that, but um, he scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. The money changers, people coming from outside would have come in with Roman currency, but in the temple, you had to pay a temple tax and that temple tax was in temple currency in the shekel, right? It had to be, it had to be in, in, in temple currency. So you got money changers and these money changers would make a little bit of money when they exchange your money. If you travel internationally, this happens all the time. Um, but they're doing it inside the temple courts. And to those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. He's angry. He's upset. And we might wonder, well, what right do you have to be upset? And that's actually what, what the leaders uh, of, the, of the Pharisees and the scribes, these guys who are in charge, the, the priests, they're wondering, what right do you have to be upset, right? And and this interesting little phrase that the disciples remember, like zeal for your house will consume me, but it doesn't say they remember it right then and there. It could have been in there. It could have been after he rose from the dead. But when they look back at the story, they just remember, remember the zeal Jesus had? And and it comes from Psalm 69, eight and nine, where it says, I am a foreigner to my own family, a stranger to my own mother's children. He's, he's in his house and he doesn't belong. Like this is, this, this is different. For zeal for your house consumes me and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. He's taking this temple thing very personally. Why is that? Why is it so personal to Jesus? Someone described this word zeal as, as boiling from heat. Those are the emotions in Jesus. And uh, you think about this place. He calls it my father's house. If this is his dad's house, it's his house. What right does he have to be angry? Um, If someone were to come into your house and just start moving in, maybe take over the bedrooms of your children, would you get a little upset? (laughs) I think I would. He's the owner of the house. He's the son of God. He's Emmanuel. John called him God. So, some things to think about as I think about how Jesus felt zeal. Do we have zeal for purity in our lives? Do we have zeal for a place that isn't consumed by the outside world do we feel anger towards the things that occupy the places that belong to god in our lives and if we do feel anger is it reactive anger or is it well thought out do we take our time to weave our our, our, our whip because if we're going to deal with our own issues, we can feel anger towards sin and rebelliousness or rebellious attitudes in our lives. But if we're not intentional in surgically removing them, it's, it's just not going to happen. We have to do it in relationship with God. I can think of a conversation. I've had not just one. This is actually an example and then repeated. But a conversation I, have with, I had with a brother. Uh, we come in and we had this conversation. How are you doing? And he says, fine, doing Great. And then we talk about like the shallow stuff. And then towards the end I ask him again. How are you really doing? And his response is. This is a confidential conversation right? And then he goes on to talk about brokenness. And how it's impacting his family and and life. We could be talking about alcohol. Or drugs. Or anger. Or. Or anxiety or whatever it's the same. It's that conversation I've had that with many people and maybe it's the way we process the way we deal with it. We're just taking from our past and repeating our past history without breaking the chains or processing even how we think through those things. We're not inviting God into the conversation, maybe godly people into the conversation. Um, so do we have zeal for purity in our lives? Do we have zeal to be with God? The temple court was a place where you went and, and you spent time, if you look back, and when Jesus was born, Hannah was in the temple courts and she was praying. Simon, same thing. This is where you went to pray, but how can you do that with so much noise? Do we spend time? Do we have times in, in our weeks where we just, I'm just here with you, God. I want to hear your word. I want to listen to you. I want to pray. I want to talk with you. Um, and, and lastly, do we have zeal for God's purpose in our lives? God has a purpose for us. This is what it's about. And this is the best thing you could do with it, with your life, with areas of your life. Sometimes we choose, you know what? I think I'll follow, give God's purpose, I'll put them here, but I'm not going to follow him in these areas of my life. And then we pay, pay consequences. Um, one of those purposes that we have, man, if we are the temple, that means God is with us and when we go into the world, there are people who are going to come in a relationship with us and we are the way that God is going to connect with those people. We are the gospel to people. We are the good message of Jesus to those people. There's this uh, this poem that uh, Stephen wrote in our student ministries, and their theme is louder. And it isn't a louder. I'm going to scream over you while you're screaming at me. That's not that's not the objective. But some of uh, a couple of the the, the fra- a, a couple of paragraphs here. May the gospel get louder. As debates and divisions get louder around us, as the pressures of conformity shout into our ears, as the world talks over itself trying to get us to hear, may the gospel get louder. As media screams in our face telling us what to think and how to feel, what is right and what is real, as broken humans stand up and tell us what true love really is, may the gospel get louder. If we are the temple of God, then Jesus should be loud in our lives. He should be louder. And, and we go back, this, go back to this story. What the Pharisees and what they're, they're seeing, they're seeing all of this commotion happen and their response is, what sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? They really maybe haven't seen anything up until now. In fact, our last passage was about a wedding. In Cana, right? So it's right for them to wonder this guy's cleaning up the house. Who is he? If someone were to come into the building and start tipping over the coffee or, or cleaning out the lobby, and we're like, who are you? Why, what, who are you? Right? We'd want to know. And so they're asking the question, who are you and what sign? And Jesus responds, and his response is he presents himself as a temple. It's kind of hidden. But he's, they're asking for a sign. Boy, is he going to give them a whole bunch of signs. But his answer is, is probably pointing to the greatest sign. And his answer is, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And they, they miss it, right? They're, they're, what, what they hear, uh, what are they hearing? They're hearing this building. Destroy this building. 46 years. What? What are you talking about? But maybe, I don't know, he was speaking to them. It's interesting because this isn't the only time Jesus cleans the temple. I think he does it again a couple years or three years later. And they come back with the same question. And by then, (laughs) they've had all these signs. But his answer is destroy this temple in three days and the temple he had spoken of was his body. He's, he's speaking ahead of, of the real thing. They're focused on this building and Jesus is talking about the real deal. He is the temple. He is the point. Over the past few weeks, or uh, uh, we talked about Jesus being the word of God, right? Gary last week mentioned Jesus being king, shepherd, but what was the big one? Do you remember the big one that he mentioned last week? Oh, okay. I'll tell you. <laughs> he said bridegroom. Bridegroom. That's the point, right? He's king, he's shepherd, but he, he's close and he's intimate. And in this passage, Jesus is temple. <laughs> he's the place, not just the place, he is Immersing myself in him is where I have community. I have commune. I can come and be in relationship with God. No more lambs. No more sacrifices. Uh, Jesus is the temple. I kind of bolded these words for us. Because that's who he is. I can be in relationship with him. I can be in relationship with the Father. I can be in relationship with the Holy Spirit. I'm in relationship. Uh, John chapter 1, 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. God lives among us, right? For in Christ, Colossians 2, 19, 9, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. The fullness of God in this human this is Jesus. Hebrews 1. But in these last days, God spoke to us by his son, right? In verse 3, the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is Jesus. He's the temple. And then you look at this verse in 1 Timothy 2, 5. We have one mediator between God and man. And who is this? It's Jesus. Throughout his ministry years, Jesus will display so much evidence and the final proof of his authority would be displayed at his resurrection. They won't just turn to do injustice to this building here and now, like filling it with a marketplace, but they will actually kill the very temple sent by God. They will kill Jesus. For those of us who have heard the rest of the story, We think of the resurrection, obviously Jesus is talking about something coming. For those of us who know the story, the question is, what does the resurrection mean for us? And I know that's a sermon that's coming, so I'm not going to go there. But I want us to think about it. I want us to live there and to to walk there because that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I'm going to give you a hint of the greatest sign you're going to get. And so let's, let's keep that focus. The resurrection focuses us and, and think about it. Now if you're looking at yourself and you realize how wide a chasm there is between you and God. If you realize how broken you are and, and you need someone to bring you to the true source of life. Let me present you to Jesus. Jesus. Jesus invites you. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. This is his offer. If you think God is far away and you can't get to him, Jesus says, hold my hand. I'd like to walk you into his presence. I'd like to invite you in. I'd like to walk you in. You can be with God. I'd like to forgive you from your sins. I'd like to cleanse you so you can be pure. So you can stand before God. So Jesus invites you into the very presence of God. If you don't have a relationship with him, would you hang on to Jesus? Would you talk to him and say, Jesus, I need you in my life. Would you please forgive me? Would you please save me? I want to be with God. I want life. And that's, that's his offer to you. Come to me and I will give you rest. This is Jesus. And lastly in this passage, when we look at it, um, he, he, he's at the Passover, right? The last Passover, we think about this, this, this passage. And Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, uh, I'm going to skip this a little bit, but Jesus invites you to walk into the presence of God. Just keep that in mind. And for those of us who already have a relationship with him, This is where he wants us to walk, to walk in his presence, to be with him. God desires a relationship with me. Isn't that amazing? A relationship. God, the creator of the universe, wants a relationship with me. Jesus, in the last section here, it says he knows each person. If you think about these last two phrases, he wants a relationship with me and he knows each person. <laughs> he knows me and he still wants a relationship with me. We're talking about God. And in this passage, it's interesting, he talks about these people who come and question him, he talks about the people he's talking to, he talks about his disciples, right? And, and he, says this, he says this little line, like he won't entrust himself to them yet, Right? He won't because he knew all people. He did not need any testimony about mankind for he knew what was in each person. God knows, Jesus knows what's in each person. He knows how they're going to respond. And in this passage, it actually says that many responded and believed. In this passage, it also says that the disciples, right, they, they afterwards would believe, But I want to ask you a couple of questions and then I want to invite us to spend some time in prayer. And this first question is who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus to you? In this passage like the Pharisees and the people in the temple they still don't quite know who he is. And maybe maybe you don't know who Jesus is. But he's coming in and he's offering life. He is the way we come to God. Right? So the question is, who is he to you? And the next question is, if if, if, if you are a Jesus follower, if you have a relationship with Jesus, do you commit to follow Jesus with your life this week? Realize I am the temple of God. I want to live for him. So I'm going to commit this week. This isn't something we do once and it's over. We do it regularly. So what about this week? Will you commit? And if you will commit, I want to ask you, how? How will you commit to follow Jesus this week? And so I'm going to invite us to take some time in personal prayer. And we're going to take just a few minutes. I I, I love these messages, sermons, but a lot of these are me talking to you. I I honestly prefer just having a conversation with people (laughs) one-on-one. But as we think about this this isn't about me talking to you and you hearing information this is really about your relationship with God and so I want to invite you to respond to him take a moment and talk with him and this might be a way to help you maybe you have another way you want to talk but but maybe you could say Father what are the things that need to be removed from my life as I think about my week Lord please help me see them examine me show me Show me what needs to be removed from my life and please help me do that. And secondly, what is one thing you want me to do to align myself with your purposes this week? So I'd like to invite you to just right now and if you're at home watching this and uh, you're asking yourself the same thing, I just want to ask you to please go ahead take a moment and pray. Take a moment where you are and just pray. So let's do that right now. Over the next few minutes, I'd like to invite you to get into groups of three or four with people around you. And if this is, I don't want to make anyone feel awkward. You don't have to do this. (laughs) But uh, I'd like to just invite you to pray for each other. Um, I'd like to invite you to share what is one thing I'd like to remove from my life. If you're willing to share it, do that. If you'd like to share what is a purpose you'd like to live or or see God see happening in your life would you share that with someone and I'd like to invite us to pray for each other would you do that so please go ahead This makes me think of uh, this joyous occasion uh, when Solomon built the temple and when he dedicated it, a couple of times a phrase pops up God is good and his love endures forever. That's what he says. I'd like to read the last part of that student ministry's poem to you because I think it's a fitting prayer for us. May your authority be declared, may our sin be laid bare. May your love be what is shared. May your death be recognized and your resurrection amplified. May we trust and give ourselves completely to you. May the gospel get louder. God bless you. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.